Welcome to the second episode of the Nebraska Employment Podcast, a podcast about workers' compensation and employment law, uh, produced by me, John Ream, a plaintiff's lawyer in Nebraska. So I recorded my first episode two weeks ago, and interesting listening to myself talk. I was not content with that content. I'm going to try to do better this week. Uh, it's an interesting experience to listen to yourself talk. A little humbling. Also, if you're a lawyer, if you want to start your own podcast, you might want to listen to yourself, listen to your own podcast, because if you look at your analytics, your own listen is going to be a substantial part of who actually listens to your first podcast. So with that, anyway, for my second episode, I'm going to talk about a blog post I wrote that got, I guess, some pretty good play. And again, this is like 10 interactions on LinkedIn. So this is, you know, this is not far from viral content, but I'm going to talk about why injured workers don't go to the doctor when they're still in pain and still having symptoms from their work injury. So why is this a problem? The, the problem with, with injured workers not going to the doctor when they're still having pain is <clears throat> that in, when, when an injured worker goes to court for a work injury, particularly one where they're disputing disputing how badly they're hurt or their dispute over what benefits are owed. Oftentimes when a, when an injured worker has treated for a long amount of time, the, the, the main benefits that you're looking at are permanent disability benefits and future medical benefits. And if an injured worker is not going to the doctor, it's one, less likely that they're going to be awarded future medical benefits. And two, there's an implication that if an injured worker is not going to the doctor that for about their injury, then their injury must not be all that serious and they must not be all that disabled. That's what you're facing with that when you have an injured worker who stops going to the doctor even though they're having pain or other symptoms from their work injury. So why is it that injured workers stop going to the doctor even if they're still having problems with their work injury? Well, the most obvious reason is, is that the employer stops paying and workers' comp is, under workers' comp, there's no expense, you know, all, everything is paid by the employer or their insurance company for, for medical treatment. And so when <clears throat> treatment stop, when, 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 when the insurance company stops paying or the employer stops paying, then the employee has to pick up the costs of their own insurance. And oftentimes there is the employer or their insurance company has done something to stop 
the payment of medical benefits through workers' compensation, whether it's a medical examination or a records review, or maybe you have a nurse case manager who's, you know, who's being pretty aggressive in has basically working a treating doctor to get people released uh, and to cut off medical care. So the employer oftentimes will have a role in that. So, so if care is denied, then the injured worker has to pocket the cost. And a lot of people can't pocket those costs. Now, some people may, may say, well, what about health insurance? And, you know, health insurance is not a bad option for, for some people. I mean, obviously, it presupposes that the injured worker actually has health insurance, or maybe that they can afford it, which they may not be able to. But even if people have health insurance, health insurance is not is different than workers' comp. I've got a client of mine in a denied case right now that had a about a five thousand dollar surgery, and their medical expenses, their projected out of pocket, were eighteen hundred dollars. And <clears throat> if you're not working, or if you're not getting paid, and even if you are working in a you know relatively low wage job, you don't just have eighteen hundred dollars laying around. So, with health insurance, with deductibles, with coinsurance, you know even if $1,800 or $2,000 might as well be a million dollars for a lot of people. So cost, out-of-pocket expense, is the first main reason why injured workers stop seeking medical care when even if they're still having symptoms from their work injury or still experiencing pain. So cost is a big factor. Cost and a denied claim. So... That's the first factor I'd like to discuss, but there's other factors as well. Another reason why injured workers don't go to the doctor when they're still having symptoms from their work injury is there's a couple other reasons as well, just besides cost. One, sometimes a lot of people don't know that they actually can go to the doctor, and this tends to happen when injured workers, let's say they reach, you know, maximum medical improvement, they get a, a dis, an impairment rating on a body part and they're mailed a check and they're told by somebody, an insurance adjuster or somebody with the company that their case is closed. Now their case actually isn't closed. The case would stay open for at least another <clears throat> two years after that last payment of benefits in Nebraska. But if somebody in authority tells them that your case is closed, a lot of times people think that that case is closed. They don't know their rights. Um, another issue is sometimes people, after they get hurt, or not sometimes, you know, fairly often, they either get fired or they quit. And they're they're either unemployed or they're not working or they work to find another job. They don't know that workers' compensation, the medical portion of that benefits, they, that actually 
survives the employment relationship. It's not like health insurance where, you know, you can't really take health care, your health insurance with you. Yeah, there's COBRA, but most people can't afford COBRA. I mean, workers' comp, so therefore workers' comp is is a portable benefit. You should be able to still seek treatment under workers' comp, even if you're not working for the employer where you got hurt. And, you know, sometimes employers will add to this and tell them, well, since you got fired, you can't claim workers' comp benefits anymore. You're you're not eligible for workers' comp benefits anymore. So there's that. Uh, people don't know what that, that they can seek medical treatment. The other barrier here is for people why they don't seek medical treatment. Partially, they just don't have time. Um, particularly if somebody goes back to work, either with the same employer or a new employer, doctor's offices tend only to be open during regular business hours. And those are business hours when people are working. And it's not just they're working. Oftentimes people are commuting, you know, long distances to do jobs. So they don't have time to go to the doctor during the workday. Now, what about Family Medical Leave Act? And yeah, if you're eligible for FMLA, you you can certainly take FMLA leave to go to the doctor for a for symptoms related to a work injury. I mean, and that that presupposes a lot of things too. That assumes that the work injury would 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 necessarily qualify as a serious medical condition under FMLA which, you know, it probably would, but not all of them do. It also presupposes that somebody knows their rights under the FMLA. I mean, you have to know your rights to be able to exercise your rights. Uh, Using FMLA also presupposes that that employees are eligible for FMLA. And not all employees are eligible for FMLA. If you work at 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 a firm with under 50 employees, you're not eligible for FMLA. If you haven't worked at a place for over a year, particularly if you've changed jobs, you're not eligible for FMLA. Uh, if you've missed work, if you haven't worked a number of hours within the last year, uh, if you missed substantial amounts of work, you may not be eligible for FMLA. Kind of sound like uh, that um, you might be a redneck guy here, but regardless. So, yeah, there's reasons why people, injured workers who are eligible for FMLA or who need medical treatment can't take FMLA and you don't have time to go to the doctor. But let's say you do exercise. The injured worker is eligible for FMLA. They know their rights and they exercise their rights. Um, What kind of FMLA leave do they have? Well, if you have somebody that needs to take time off, you know, periodically, either to go to the doctor or maybe periodically because they're they're in pain, maybe they need to go home early. That's intermittent FMLA. And intermittent FMLA, H, human resources, all these management defense lawyers, they're on social media. They hate intermittent FMLA. Intermittent FMLA is, I mean, one, it's a little bit of an administrative hassle for human resources people, but look, let's, let's be honest, they're administrators. That's what they get paid to do. But secondly, there's a, a perception among people in management that either defend management or in human resources 
that intermittent FMLA is rife with fraud. So, you know, you've got somebody who, well, just put yourself in the worker, in the injured worker's shoes here. You have somebody here who's, who got hurt on the job, and there's plenty of stigma that goes along with workers' compensation. And then secondly, they want to take intermittent FMLA to go to the doctor. So, I mean, you got a whole lot of stigma with that too. I mean, it's, you know, not only are you, you know, presumed to be fraudulent if you got hurt at work, there's also a presumption that you're doing something untoward if you're taking intermittent FMLA. Of course, there are ways to get medical care after after hours. And what I'm talking about the emergency room, urgent care clinics. But this is another problem an injured worker is going to run into. Let's say you're working, they go into the emergency room after business hours, and they're complaining about pain. Well, what's that look like? Well, it looks like somebody who's looking for pain medication. You know, if you go to the emergency room too many times, particularly after your after your after you know the emergency situation, or particularly after the injury, but if you're going to the emergency room after you've been treating for a while. What's it look like? You're a drug seeker, you know, so that's another stigma. So injured workers, particularly those who work in blue collar professions that are or, the, or that have to work on an hourly basis, have a lot of barriers to getting medical care. So, and I think that the concerns about opioid abuse and drug use as a way to treat pain are a way to talk about the uh, or, or good transition into my final section of this podcast about why doctors or about why injured workers don't go to the doctor even if they are experiencing pain. Finally, I believe the last reason why injured workers don't seek medical treatment, even if they're still experiencing pain and symptoms from their work injury, is that even assuming they have access to medical care, the work injury process has, to some extent, alienated them from their their treating doctors. Um, and, and, and going back into that FMLA, in order to get FMLA, an injured worker, you need, usually you need to have a doctor fill out paperwork. You're going to have to have a doctor fill out paperwork for that. And that presupposes that the injured worker, even if they have access to a doctor or a good relationship with the doctor, you know, can get the, that doctor to fill out that paperwork. And that doesn't always happen. And part of the reason that that happens, or that doesn't happen, is that a workers' comp claim can serve to alienate the injured worker from from a doctor, and I think this happens a couple for a couple of reasons, and it's not always the injured worker's fault, and it's not always the doctor's fault either. I mean, one. Some people are, are even injured workers. Some people are just unreasonable uh, and unlikable. So that's, you know, sometimes it's on the worker. 
Um, but not all doctors have great bedside manners either. So even if somebody is a nice person, they may not, you know, they may not like their their doctor, specifically if it's a specialist, if they have a, you know, kind of a poor bedside demeanor, poor relationship with them to begin with. Sometimes family doctors or specialists who, who, you know, m- might have treated a, a patient, an injured worker before they got hurt at work. Sometimes these types of providers are reluctant to get involved in workers' compensation cases. Sometimes they'll refer to occupational medicine clinics. There's a physician group here in Lincoln that does that. Um, so there's reasons why people were alienated from their doctors. And I think a, uh, another reason why people get alienated from their injured workers, get alienated from their doctors, is because there's a lot of interference oftentimes in the doctor-patient relationship by nurse case managers. They get in there, these nurse case managers, they speak the medical language, you know, maybe they're giving donuts to the to the support staff, I, I don't know. But they get in there and they get these relationships with the doctors. Oftentimes, it, you know, the, the, the doctors know the nurse case managers. And those nurse case managers can alienate the client from the patient. So even if the person, the injured worker, is having symptoms and maybe even if they have a way to pay for it, they, they don't want to go to that doctor because that nurse case manager, whether it's somebody from a service like Gen X or whether it's a, um, a in-house nurse case manager like some of the packing houses have or ESIS or whatever, those nurse case managers have, spo- have, have fouled the relationship between the doctor and the patient, at least in the eyes of the injured worker. Fourth and last, and this kind of transitions into the conclusion of the podcast here, is particularly with people that are in pain. And if the issue is, is pain, there's a, there, I think there's a communication disconnect between doctors and patients always. But particularly when it comes to chronic pain, doctors don't know what to do with that. And I think with the opioid crisis or the, you know, concern about opioid addiction, doctors are more reluctant to prescribe prescription pain medications. And doctors really don't, they don't have a good idea of what to do with chronic pain. And, you know, maybe they don't, they don't recommend anything and maybe what, Maybe what these injured workers hear from their doctors is, I don't, I can't help you. I don't know how to help you. And so the, 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 the injured workers hear these messages from the doctors and they decide it, it doesn't do any good to go to the doctor. I'm just going to, to live with this. So that could be another reason why I, that is another reason why I think many injured workers don't go to the doctor 
if they're continuing to experience pain and symptoms from their work injury. Earlier this week, and I'm wrapping it up here, earlier this week, the blogger Tom Robinson, who's the author of the Workers' Comp Treatise, the main one, and he writes a blog pretty much almost every day uh, with case law update. But he ran something on LexisNexis, uh, on the LexisNexis Workers' Comp newsletter that comes out a couple of times a month, talking about how workers' compensation is a mirror of society, which maybe I'm misquoting that. Um, I don't want to make it sound like he's making me live in a society argument. But what I think Robinson stated was that everything that we deal with in workers' compensation, or a lot of what we deal with in workers' compensation, relates back to social problems as a whole. And I think you see that here in you know of the question of why injured workers don't go to the doctor. And I think that if they're still having pain and symptoms. And I think the two main issues, maybe three, but at least two issues here that that I think that are broad social issues that clearly impact workers' compensation. One is access to health insurance and medical care. Uh, not everybody has health insurance, and if you do, the health insurance isn't always usable. And I think that that issue, which is a hot political issue, both within the Democratic primary and it'll probably be an issue in the general election in 2020, is clearly comes into play in workers' compensation. Not only access to health insurance, but who controls the medical care? Should your boss be able to essentially control your medical care? I think absolutely not. That's why I'm for Medicare for All and Bernie Sanders. I don't give a who who knows that. Uh, but but going back, you know, so there's access to medical care. There's also the access of, of opioids, opioid abuse. And again, a lot of the reasons why doctors are maybe reluctant to provide long-term care to pain patients is that oftentimes long-term care for pain patients involves opioids or the, or the benzo class of drugs like Ativan and Xanax, which are also addictive and potentially harmful. But, but in a way, those, if we, but the thing is, if we can't prescribe these, these drugs and opioids, there's not a whole lot of other good options out there. And, and to some extent, I think the opioid crisis or the expansion of opioid addiction is a symptom of hopelessness, of despair. And those, again, are things, and those are things that injured workers feel, uh, particularly if with, you know, physical impacts of these injuries coupled with diminished economic job prospects. I mean, people get hurt at work. They feel that despair, but that despair is not, you know, not that despair that they feel is is something that is, you know, felt just beyond people that get hurt at work. A lot of people feel that. And again, workers' compensation lawyers aren't going to be able to figure that out. And even probably even individual doctors can't deal with that. But yeah, yeah, in an injury case, we have to deal with all of these issues. So anyway, I appreciate you listening here.
I'm going to unlock my iPhone and end the recording. Thanks for listening. I'll probably cut another one of these towards the end of the month. Thanks for listening to the Nebraska Complement Podcast. Thank you. Hey, I'm back here. I just wanted to put an addendum on to the why injured workers stop seeking medical treatment, even if they're hurt. Um, Put an addendum on to that episode. I just listened to it. I think the other thing that, the other broader social trend that impacts the abilities of injured workers to, you know, that prevents injured workers from seeking medical care is the role of complicated bureaucracy in order to exercise your rights of work. For example, if you want to bring a charge of discrimination, you have to file something, with usually with the Civil Rights Agency, you're required to exhaust administrative remedies. Here, if an injured worker wants to exercise their rights under the Family Medical Leave Act, first of all, there's a there's complicated questions of whether they're eligible for FMLA or not. And of course, that injured worker is required to fill out paperwork. And again, a person, particularly somebody of, you know, maybe limited education, at, you know, may have limited capacity or abilities to do paperwork. Whereas people in management with education that are familiar with bureaucratic processes, you know, have an advantage in filling out paperwork. And again, that the role of bureaucracy in society, particularly the role that bureaucracy plays in working towards the ends of business or, you know, away from workers is another thing that impacts, impacts the injured worker. You know, it's kind of a neoliberal thing, too. And a lot of people say, well, what does neoliberalism mean? Well, one thing that I think about it is, you know, you're using the kind of the, the administrative state, which is, is supposed to help people out, like the Department of Labor. is supposed to help workers, but business hijacks these laws and these procedures to essentially help themselves. So... I think that's where it comes from. And again, just the complicated bureaucratic you know, maze that everyday people have to navigate certainly comes into play in workers' compensation. And I think it keeps people from seeking medical care, even if they're, even if they're still suffering symptoms from a work injury. So, all right, that's it. No more addendums. Thanks for listening.